Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing this message here today. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you guys so much for being here. Can we thank these guys for worship? Man, y'all are awesome. Uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, I just met Nick Henshaw uh, this morning, and, and I met uh, Nick Andrews a few weeks ago. So I really appreciate you guys coming and being a part of this this morning. It's a blessing to us. And so if you if you get a chance, it's nice and easy. Just call someone Nick and say, hey, thanks a lot, Nick, for serving, and you get it right. So thank y'all for making it so easy on us this morning. Man, and can we thank the Lord for the idea of repentance, right? Can we thank God for that, too? You know, as Jacob was just praying and, and, you know, just singing that song, I just thought about one thing that I've learned just even in the past six months, and, and it's, a, it's amazing how Scripture and how you think you understand something or know something or have confidence that, that you've got it uh, completely understood within the box of your understanding that, that God blows it up. And one of those things is this idea of repentance. And I don't know if y'all remember, but we actually started when we, the, the series that we did, we did an Advent series leading up to Christmas and Christmas Eve uh, at the end of 2019. And if you remember, we started that Advent series with repentance which did not, we joked about it not feeling very Christmassy. But uh, Joe, one of our elders and leaders here, he taught him repentance. And it really, it just touched me and really opened my eyes to what that looks like. Because we, I think that we sometimes have this, these concepts and this baggage or these ideas that around these really Christian-y words. We have, we have all these kind of this Christianese. And if you're raised in the church like I was, um, maybe that's, that's, uh, you experience that. And I know that I do. And it's not always bad. It's not always bad, but sometimes it, it can be off. And so repentance, I think in the past, yeah, several months, God's really opened my eyes to just the gentleness and the graciousness and the kindness of God to offer repentance to us. Because I always felt like repentance was shrouded with shame and guilt. And the focus of repentance was my wrongdoing and my brokenness and my sinful nature. And while that's definitely a, a key and part of it, not the shame piece, don't worry, that's not from the Lord. Uh, but what I've seen is that, that God gives a path where there was none. God makes a way where there was no way. And so I'm so thankful for that. And so as we've kicked off this, this series, this Flourish series at the beginning of 2020, um, our focus has really been on trying to cast some vision for uh, the vessel and who we are and what God is doing and who he's calling us to be and what he's calling us to do. And so I I mentioned up front uh, as we were welcoming people and praying, but we've got um, a few few things that are happening right now that I just, I'm so thankful for and I think give, give context and give examples of how God is already flourishing our church this year. Um, if y'all remember the, the second week of the year, we talked about missions. We had a missionary, uh, and we, we prayed over her and laid hands and commissioned her and sent her out for ministry. And so today, uh, she, she left a couple weeks ago and went to Germany, but today she's going to Jordan where God's called her to be a missionary. And man, I was just, 
I've been praying for her. She's been on my heart this morning and, and how God's called and um, her to go and to, to love people that are very far from the Lord, a, a place with very hard soil, a place where it's even, there, there's even laws against loving Jesus. And so praying for her this morning. And then we've got a team that's out this morning down, uh, and they're on their way to Gatesville if they're not there already. They're doing prison ministry with Haven of Love. So I've just been praying for them, and I just have been really reflecting on how the Lord's already beginning to show signs of us flourishing. And so I've loved this series. I've loved the vision for our church. And so uh, this morning, we're continuing in that, and we're continuing with this theme of repentance. And so you might think, how does, what does repentance have to do with flourishing? And so uh, we're going to be in, uh, as Jacob said, we're going to be in a, the book of Hosea. So I'd love for you to read along. And we're going to be in the 14th chapter. It's the last chapter of the book. So if you want to pull that up on your phone, if you raise your hand, Janet, uh, one of our guest services team can bring you a Bible. And so if, if uh, you may not be as familiar, f- familiar with Hosea as you are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but uh, no one's judging you if you look at the, at the front of your Bible. I always felt when I was a kid in church and I became a teenager, I always felt like guilty for looking at the front, like for the what page number. I thought, oh, I should be more spiritual than this. And so I'd try to flip through, and as other people had their Bibles, I'd flip and check, so i make sure. So uh, find Hosea. You can uh, get there and get to the very last chapter. As you're getting there, I'll give you a little bit of context about this scripture and it's very interesting. Uh, so Hosea is a, a, he's a minor prophet in the Old Testament and, and a little Bible quiz. So if you were here when we taught on Ezekiel 47, uh, what defines a minor prophet? Does anybody remember what defines a minor prophet? What is it? Yeah, number of chapters, exactly. So Hosea qualifies as a minor prophet because a minor prophet is 14 or less chapters makes it qualifies them as a minor prophet. Any prophet that has more than uh, any prophecy that has more than 14 chapters is a major prophet. So this doesn't minor doesn't mean it's any less important or any less significant. Uh, It just means it's shorter. And so and even you know how that looks. So um, Hosea gets in by the skin of his teeth as a minor prophet with 14 chapters. And interesting enough, this is one of the oldest books of the Bible. And this is the oldest of the Old Testament prophecies. And so uh, there's a lot in there. And I encourage you, if you ever want to look through and want to know more about repentance and what that looks like and and really walking away from God is to take a look at this this book. Because it's a lot about, the prophecy is a lot about Israel's uh, rebellion and rejection of God. And remember, prophecy is telling of things to come. And so it's about Israel, God's people, right? Just like us, God's people rejecting God and turning away from God and turning towards the world. And it's about their eventual repentance and reconciliation with Christ. And in there, he makes an interesting comparison where he talks about, Hosea talks about his wife. So he compares uh, the rejection of God and turning away from God and turning to the world uh, as an unfaithful wife. And interesting enough is that Hosea uh, continues to pursue his wife, even though she's been unfaithful, and she turns back, and their marriage is reconciled. And I know that's a, but that maybe that gives you some sort of context of where he's going. And so the good news is, is 14, chapter 14, is all of the repentance of God's people and the blessing that comes from that. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. And so before we jump in, we're going to read the entirety of the chapter. 
Before we jump in, I want to read this quote that I read this week from Charles Spurgeon. And I don't typically, I don't typically like to quote man a lot if during messages, uh, but I just thought this was so perfect because as we read through this, you're going to see it almost reads like a psalm. It's just this beautiful piece of scripture that, that, that it's just the, the scripture comes alive as you're reading. It goes perfectly with kind of this idea of flourish and where we've been. And so here's what Charles Spurgeon said about Hosea, specifically chapter 14. I thought it was great. He says this, this is a wonderful chapter to be at the end of such a book. I had never expected from such a prickly shrub to gather so fair a flower, so sweet of fruit, but so it is. Where sin abounded, grace doth much more abound. No chapter in the Bible could be more rich in mercy than this last of Hosea. And yet no chapter in the Bible might, in the natural order of things, have been more terrible in judgment. Where we look for the blackness of darkness, behold the noontide of light. Isn't that a beautiful quote? Let me pray and we'll, we'll, we'll jump into his word. Dear Lord, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for your great and magnificent and beautiful mercy that's offered to us every moment of every day. Jesus, that there's no path that we've walked that's too far. There's no thing that we've done that's, that's, that's too bad. God, we can never be too far gone and that you make a way back to us. And Jesus, I thank you that that image of where there is but bitter darkness you replace with the noonday sun. And so I just thank you for that, Jesus. I pray that as we read through this and we think about our own church and this body that's in this room, Lord, that you'll give us a picture of what you want to do. God, that you'll give us a picture of the flourishing that comes from repentance, the blessing that comes from that, Jesus. And I pray that that, that, that would be a reality for us in our lives. That would be a reality for the Vessel Collective Church. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. So I'm going to read through the entirety of the chapter, and then we'll go back through. Um, so Hosea chapter 14 begins like this. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say, quote, our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them free, freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. 
Man, what a beautiful piece of scripture. And it's one of those that you read and you think, man, is there, is there, are there any words that need to be added to this? And so I, I, I want to start with that end in mind. And just as we step into this and we begin talking and try to look through what the truth in this is for us, is these last two verses, it says, who is wise? So I ask you that question first and foremost. Legitimately, who in this room is wise? Is there anyone in this room that has wisdom? If you are wise, I want you to raise your hand. No one? Okay, because the word says that wisdom is a spiritual gift and he provides for his body. So if we have no wisdom in this room, we're going to go back to camp fun, or not camp fun, vessel kids and find the wisdom back there. But it's this idea of him asking about wisdom and who is wise. He says, let them realize these things. And the second thing I'll ask you is who is discerning? Who can discern, who can discern truth and what the Lord is speaking says, let them understand. I pray first and foremost, as we walk into this, that, that God grants us the gift of wisdom, that he grants us the gift of discernment so we can clearly understand. And I, I don't think I understand as far as wisdom being an intelligence thing that we're smart enough to gather and to study, but it's really revelation from the Lord that we get a clear picture of who he is and what he's doing. And so with that in mind, I, we're, we're, we're going to start with a couple of things that he says right off the beginning, and they're prerequisites of sort. Because really what I want us to focus on this morning is, is the blessing of flourishing and what happens because of repentance. But he starts off and he sets up repentance. And I think that there's some, some really good truth here. And I think it's good for us to talk about and for us to think about and understand as we jump into the flourishing. So the first thing he talks about and the first kind of point is that repentance is spoken. Repentance is spoken. In verse two, it says, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we might offer the fruit of our lips. That he literally says for repentance, he says, take words with you to bring them with you. And the word repent literally means in its, in its definition and context, repent means turning away from sin and wrongdoing and turning towards God. So this idea of a physical turning away from what is sin, what is wrongdoing, and turning towards God. And what the prophet here is saying is that repentance is spoken. We know from Romans chapter 8, if, you, if you've ever gone on like evangelism trips or you've gone on door to door as a kid or something like that, and you've given someone a Roman road, like a tract that tells and walks them through. Romans 8 is an important part of that. It talks about the, the important role that your mouth is when it comes to repentance. In Romans 8, it talks about that the word is near you. It says it's literally in your mouth, that repentance in God's word is in your mouth. And it says that you are to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So Romans 8 says, says, declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And it doesn't say Jesus is Savior. It says Jesus is Lord. It means submitting to him. It means turn away from sin and, and, and calling him who he is. It says, is with your mouth that you profess your faith. And so, and, and I'm not, as if you know Romans 8, you know it talks about the heart as well. It talks about the heart and the mouth. But I want you to understand that it's important for us to know that, that repentance is something that's spoken. It's spoken. And think about it like this. If you have children or you have been around children, or you've been a, a, a grandparent, or an aunt or uncle, or a teacher, whatever the context is, and you've been around kids, and you want kids to apologize, right? You want them 
to, to apologize. And you say, you know, if they do something wrong or they hurt someone or they make a mistake, you say, apologize to your brother now, right? You get him over there and you got him by the arm and you kind of hold him a little high where, you know, you drag him over there and you say, apologize to him. And they say, sorry. It's like, there, now we're good, right? He's repented. He's said sorry. No, right? That's not what a good parent does because it's not the words that they say, but it's what's in the words that they say. You understand that, that saying something and speaking is empty if you don't, if you don't mean what the words say. So a, half, a half-hearted, sorry about that, that's not an apology. That doesn't count because it's not the words you say, it's what's in the words you say. And the, the, the translation here literally says, it says that um, in verse two, says, take your words with you, forgive all of our sins and receive us graciously, graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. The translation literally says that we may offer the calves of our lips. That's what the word truly says. It's not the, 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 it's the calves of our lips. You think about a calf and what God's people use as a calf. It was a sacrifice that they would be, bring a calf to the altar to be sacrificed. But what Hosea is saying here is, is he's saying your calves and your sacrifices that what it is in repentance is it's the sacrifice of your words. It's to truly mean what you say. And so I want to encourage us this morning to think about that, to think about what repentance is before God. How do we say those things to God? Why is it being spoken important? The second thing that's important as we go into the flourishing is that um, sin is not what you think that it is. Sin is not what you think. And so I think that sometimes we oversimplify what sin is. And, and, and I think that for our, for our desire to move away from sin, and which is good-hearted and well-intended, that sometimes we gloss over sin, and by not understanding sin fully, that, that we don't quite understand what it looks like to repent and to walk away from it. And then sometimes we don't even realize what sin is in our lives because we oversimplify sin as doing something bad, right? Like our depth of understanding sin probably hasn't evolved since we were in vessel kids or since we grew up in the church, that sin is bad. We know it's missing the mark. It's doing something where it's wrong, right? It's cursing. It's drinking. It's fighting, it's, it's stealing from someone, it's taking candy from a store, whatever it is, and it's this oversimplification. But look here at what it says about sin, because I think it's more complicated than that, and I think it gives us, we get to see God's heart and what he's calling us away from. Verse three says, Assyria cannot save us. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, for in you, the fatherless find compassion. See, the truth is about every person, every person is that we have faith. Whether it's faith in Jesus Christ or faith in something else, we put our faith in something. And sin is more complicated than just doing wrong. Sin is putting our faith in things that are other than the Lord. It says in their repentance, Assyria cannot save us. A lot of times, what sin is, is that it's not just turning towards God, but we, we've turned towards the world. That Assyria cannot say us. We put our, we put our faith in uh, a government or official, or we get so passionate about, man, if we could just get the right person in the right political office, then all is well. 
and we'll give our, our, our lives and our money and our time and resources to some elected official that we think is going to make things right. And I am telling you that that will never happen. It doesn't matter who is elected to the White House or whatever representative or whatever role you want. Our faith is not in government. Our faith is not in man. But to turn away from putting our faith and our trust in that and turning towards God is true repentance. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's not okay to have an opinion and to be a responsible citizen and to care and to elect the right person to office. But when we're putting all of our faith into that, it's, it means that we're not putting our faith into Jesus. It says, mount your, it says we will not mount our war horses. We put our faith in power. We think that if I could just have enough money, if I could earn enough or I could have this right position or I could have this, this powerful place, that's where I'm going to put my confidence and faith and in my security. So I'm telling you that, that that's putting your faith into the world. That's putting your faith into your 401k or whatever it might be. You know, Shay and I, we, we've been praying a lot about our own financial situation and, and we're stepping out in faith into something that's really uh, new and, and, and trying to be faithful to the Lord. And she's walked away from her job so we can fully focus on the church. And so we sit down and we have a budget meeting. And budget meetings are no fun anyways, uh, especially if you're like me. Um, but we look down and, and we get to the, like we scrap and scrape everything. We get to the end of the month and we're like, we have $37 in the black. That means nothing can go wrong. We can't have a flat tire. No kids can break their arms. We can't, you know, anything. We can't go to a wedding or we can't do all this sort of stuff. And like, man, we're, we're like $37 in the black. And she, and you know, as responsible parents, we're like, man, Lord, that's no retirement. That's no college fund for our kids. And so in our flesh, Shay and I had the conversation, is this right? Are we truly being faithful to walk away and, and to not be putting money into our kids' college funds? She, and and we, Shay talked about this week. She's like, man, it doesn't feel like we're doing what everyone else is doing. And I was like, you're, you're you're right. We're not like we're, we're putting our faith in Christ. And I'm not saying that retirement is wrong. I'm not saying that investing in your college and your, your kid's education is wrong. But what I'm saying is when we put our faith into that, that that's what sin is. I'm not saying it's sinful to do those things, but when we are trusting in our faith in that security, it's not in Jesus. Then he says, we will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. It's putting faith in yourself. It's saying it, it, what I can do, look what I've done, look what I've earned, look at what I've built, look at the family I've made. So I want you to know, and I, I, I hope that gives you a clear picture of sin in the sense of what we're turning towards. And it's turning towards the world, it's turning towards man, it's turning towards ourself and not towards Jesus. And so repentance is, is really to turn away from those things and to turn towards Christ. And it doesn't mean that you can't invest in your kid's college fund. It doesn't mean that, that retirement is bad. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about the political person that you're voting into office. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't work hard to provide for your family. But what it means is when you put those things above God, that's what sin looks like. And so Shay and I have this, uh, 
we, we, we have houseplants. And so we have this plant uh, that it's, it's like a, a, it's not a fern. It has just these big like leaves. I don't know. That's like any plant. So we have a plant with big leaves. It's super interesting. So we, it's, it's kind of, we've moved around different places. It's in this big pot and someone gave it to us and, and there's been, it's kind of had different variances of success. But we finally, if you remember the first week I talked about changing location, we finally have moved it into a right spot in our house where it's getting the right um, amount of sun, the right attention, all those sort of things. And one thing it's doing with its big leaves, it's turning towards the window. So it's in front of this window and all of the palms of these, this tree are, 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 they're almost pressing up against the window. And so as Hosea is talking about us turning towards Christ, it's this image of us doing that to Jesus. It's us where we are is turning, putting our faces and our faith and our lives towards Christ. And it's like we're pressing up against that window towards him. And he grows us and he flourishes us. And that's the image of Hosea. And so I want us to look um, just through a, f- a few quick things of what this looks like, what the flourishing of repentance. And, and trust me, I'm not saying, hey, we at Vessel, we need to repent, like that we're doing these things wrong. I just want you to know how important it is of what we're putting our faith and trust into. And so through this scripture, I'm just going to uh, kind of highlight a few things. And the first and foremost is when we repent, we turn and we put our faces towards God. The first thing that's going to happen is that the vessel will blossom. The vessel will blossom. In verse 5, it says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. And so a lily, uh, the, the, the flower of a lily has deep significance in Christianity, right? If you've ever celebrated Easter or bought flowers at Easter time, you'd normally buy a Easter lily. And it's a symbol and it's a plant that, that symbolizes Easter time. It symbolizes the resurrected Christ. And rumor, not scripture, not truth, but rumor says that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, that lilies grew on the ground when, when, he, when he prayed on the, the eve, of his, uh, eve of his crucifixion, that when he sweat drops of blood from where those blood fell on the ground, the Easter lilies grew there. It's rumor. I'm not so sure it's true. But you see the semblance that the lily has. But the lily's a significant plant. And, and when it talks about, it will, I will be like the dew to Israel, and he, he, God's people, the vessel, our church, will blossom like, uh, like a lily. First of all, a lily is, has a, a, a bulbous root. If you've ever planted lily, the lily reproduces and it reproduces below the ground. The other thing about a lily is a lily springs up quickly, really quickly. That You can be looking at a field one day and it's just green and, and you wake up the next day with the dew on the ground. Like he says, the dew comes and the lilies have blossomed and opened up. And uh, they can grow really quickly and they can be really fragile. And a lot of times we talk in church about our faith and being strong and mature and growing deep and, and doing all these things. And a lot of times we, we, we look over what new growth and fast growth looks like. Because a new believer, a new Christian grows faster than anyone else. If you've ever seen someone give their life to Christ, you've seen them blossom like a lily. You've seen them sprout up, and this beautiful thing is there. And I think about my, my, my own daughter in that sake, is that I've watched her faith just blossom, and it's been this beautiful thing. The other thing that it does is it marks the beginning of spring. 
that lilies bloom, they, they kind of mark the beginning of springtime, and they can bloom, like I said, really dramatically over, overnight. And Jesus even talked about the lilies of the field. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these when talking about the lilies of the field. So when we think about our church, I want you to know that this blossoming, this beautiful flower that marks new life, that marks spring, that marks newness, that that's what God wants to do in us, that he wants us to blossom like the lily. Second thing he wants us to do is not only will the vessel blossom, but the vessel will be rooted. The vessel will be rooted. In verse five, it says, like the cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. This is he being the church, being God's people. Like the cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. If you were here the first week, we talked about the roots of Lebanon uh, and from Psalm 92. But cedar trees are known for their roots. That's what they're known for. They're known for their root system. Um, and if you've ever uh, known anyone that's ever cleared land in Texas, Cedar trees are notoriously have these really hardy, deep roots. And so another interesting thing about the root system of these cedar trees in Lebanon is that oftentimes their roots grow deeper than the height of the tree. That that there's more of the tree that's below the surface than there is above. That That if a cedar tree is 10 feet in the air, its roots go much deeper than that. So the question is, for us, is what's below the surface? For our church and our lives, what happens below the surface is often deeper and more significant than what happens on the top. And it's tempting that we want our faith to be seen. We like the idea of a lily. You can see it. It's precious. It's beautiful. And we want our faith to be seen. Uh, But that can be distracting. Let's not confuse putting our faith on display with witnessing because it's easy to become a Christ follower and to begin to toot our own horn and say, look at what I've done and look at what God and yay, God, he's so good and he's so great. And he is, but we, we do these things when things are going really well. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew six, he said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And this can be tricky. This can be tricky. What it looks like to put our faith on display and to be a witness of Christ and to talk about what he's doing in my life. But there's a fine line between when that becomes about Jesus and when that becomes about us. And that's really the key, is that when we talk about what God is doing, is the the focus being on him and what he's doing is the focus being on us and what we're doing. And humility is the key. Humility points to Jesus and pride points to men. And like I said, not only that, but cedar, cedar trees, not only they have these deep root systems, where there's, there's much, if not more, going on below the surface in our lives than what's above the surface. But uh, like I said before, they're notoriously stubborn. And, and yeah, again, ask anyone that's ever cleared land of cedar trees. Their roots, to dig those roots up, are next to impossible. And if you're snickering in this room, it's because you've tried to dig up cedar trees before. It doesn't happen. So literally, you can rent a bobcat where they just lop it off at the surface 
You just cut the cedar tree down and you leave the root system because they are so difficult to get out of the ground because they grow so, so stubborn. So I ask you the question, is your faith stubbornly rooted in Christ? What does it take to affect you? Is, you, is your faith in Jesus Christ and the roots that are growing here in our church, are they so soundly rooted in Christ that it, it, what will it take to pull that out? For me, I had a conversation in my men's group this last week. We were just talking about our faith and, and relationship with Jesus Christ and, and talking about evidence and, and what scripture says and trying to seek truth. And I, I said this, I said, you know, for me, that the reason and why my faith is so strong and what I have is what I've experienced with my relationship with Jesus and nothing that no one can ever say, nothing that can ever happen in my life will ever change that because it's what I've experienced with Jesus Christ. And so I want you to know that the Lord in our flourishing, he wants us to be rooted in Jesus Christ so stubbornly that no amount of trouble, no amount of difficulty, no amount of hard times will pull that root system up. You know, it's easy, and I've said this before, it's easy to have Facebook faith. Right? When things are going good, I'm going to put it online and yay, God, I got this new job. God is so good. I've got this awesome job and I was praying for it, which is great. And God did get you that job. But what about when you don't get the job? What about when you get fired from the one that you had before? Is God good then? Is he good in those situations, in those circumstances? So I think it's really important for us to think about our faith being rooted in Christ. The third thing um, is that the vessel will spread. Not only will it blossom, not only will it be deeply rooted, but the vessel will spread. In verse six, it says, his young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. We talked about this in the, in the second week when we looked at John 15 about the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and this idea of going out. But let me be clear that, that, that new growth doesn't just mean butts in the seats. It doesn't just mean that this row is filled and we've got two more people here and we have to get more chairs and we get more, more people singing in this room. That doesn't define new growth. But new growth happens in our own lives. Is it, how is God challenging us to grow? How is God challenging us to spread out? And whatever that looks like for you, whether it's I'm gonna get into a small group I'm going to begin reading my Bible. That's like a new branch or a new shoot that's growing. It literally says that the young shoots will go forth, is what the scripture says when he says his young shoots will grow. It's his new shoots will go forth. And how is God calling us to spread our branches out? And how is he calling us to grow? And it's easy to see when we think about the next generation. When we think about vessel kids back there, I talk about my daughter Sloan. Like her faith is growing and it's rapid growth and she's blossoming. There's new shoots all the time. I see her praying. I see her having a real relationship with Jesus. At nine years old, it's easy to see the growth there. It's easy seeing a 23-year-old girl that we stand up and pray over to go out and go be a missionary. Right, man, we see that's a new growth. That's a new shoot that's spreading out. But what about in us? Because we get there and we think, oh man, missionary work, that's for the young. That's for, that's for somebody who's in their 20s. And man, being really bold with your faith, that's for a kid. I've been following Jesus for 30 years. 
where is new growth in your own life? Because we, we think it's just this next generation, but really what it is, it's the next spiritual generation that I believe that, that sitting in this room right now, that God is raising up missionaries. That sitting in this room right now, God is raising up pastors and future leaders, that he's raised up people that will teach and preach and will be, give their life to ministry. And that doesn't, that doesn't qualify whether that's bivocational or vocational, whatever it looks like, but God is growing us. And to think about your own life and where that new growth is. And I think about, I, I told him I was going to use an example. I think about Gary Gall. Man, you talk about new growth. You look at the life of Gary. He grew up rock and roll. He toured. He was a musician. Did I get a whoop for rock and roll? Wow. That's awesome. Right? He grew up and he, he toured and he played in a band. He was a musician. He was a, a rock and roll guy. Finds the Lord, gives his life to Christ. And at the age, I told him, at the age of early 50s, for the first time in his life, he becomes a worship leader. That He leads our worship team. Man, we think, oh, that's a young man's game. Or, you know, and Gary will say, gosh, you know, I, I, you know skinny jeans aren't my thing. You know, like the, the typical like, Christian worship guy. And I'm like, man, no. You want to know when the Lord is done growing new growth in your life? It's when you're in the ground. That's when he's done. And not a day, not a moment sooner than that. Is that there's new growth to be happening in your own lives. And maybe, maybe that's what God's calling you into to be a worship leader, that, man, he makes this look easy, puts together this team, helps lead us in worship, helps grow up other leaders. And, man, to think that he's been leading worship for less than five years is amazing. So God wants the vessel to spread. Next thing from the scripture we can see is that uh, not only we blossom. Not only will the vessel be deeply rooted, not only will there be new shoots, but it also says that the vessel will have the fragrance of Christ. In verse six, it says his fragrance will be like the cedar of Lebanon. Now I was talking to someone that came in that um, has cedar fever and has allergies. So please don't read this the wrong way. If you think, yeah, the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of the cedar of Lebanon, I'm feeling that. And I think about the question, like, what's the fragrance when people walk into this room? Yes, I know, a stinky gym. We meet in a gym. But what is it that they sense? When someone new comes in this room and they walk into here, what is the aroma of this room? When Shay and I, a few weeks ago, we went on a, a road trip to Orlando to help out some friends, and we stopped in southeast Texas, where we both grew up in Orange, Texas, and we spent like about an hour kind of bumping around Orange, and we got there, and we stopped, and we went to my old church, the church I grew up in, and we got out of the car, and I just, man, I breathed it in. I was like, man, this smells like southeast Texas. It's not bad. It's just, this feels, I smell it. It just is in the air. It's like when rain is coming. You know it's going to rain. You walk outside, and it's just the aroma is in the air. It's the smell of a newborn baby. Man, and even if you haven't, like us, our kids are older, but you hold a new baby, man, you can smell, and it just reminds you of that new life. So I wonder, what's the fragrance in this room? 
Do people walk in here and do they see and sense and smell Christ? Because scripture says that when outsiders, people that don't know Jesus will come in, that they'll say, surely God is amongst them. Not because of the words I say on this thing, not because of the lyrics that are on the screen, but because the, the presence of God is in this room. And I want you to know that that's what the Lord wants for the vessel. The last thing, and this may be my favorite, is that the vessel will be a dwelling place. The vessel will be a dwelling place. In verse 7, it says, People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Further along in verse 8, it says, I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. That the vessel will be a dwelling place. We have a sign as you walk in. It says, it says, Vessel Collective Church, and it says, you belong here. And I look at that sign, I think, well, that's like a really good Christian-y thing to say, to welcome people. I mean, it says welcome, but it says you belong here. But I think, what does that really mean? And do we really believe that? Do we really mean what that sign says? That whoever walks past it belongs in this place. Who can come into this room? Who can gather with us in this room? There's a lot of great other churches around in our area that we could go and all of us could go and participate with and make a great impact here. But why are we here? Is this truly a place that people can belong before they believe? Is this a judgment-free zone? Can anyone, regardless of their background, their race, their sexual orientation, what they've done in their past, their felony record, whatever it is, can they truly come here? Are we that place? Because what Scripture says is it says people will dwell again in their shade. That the shade of the tree, the shade of our flourishing is a place of refuge for people. Flourishing is not for the sake of the saved. Our flourishing is not for the sake of those who are saved. It is for the sake of the lost. And I think that's so important for us to understand that if we are going to flourish, and that's what God is going to do, it is not for our own sake, but it's for the sake of the lost. The lost. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said this. The Pharisees were bickering about why does he surround himself with the sinners and the sects, uh, the tax collectors and, you know, the prostitutes and all these terrible people. Why is Jesus hanging out and being with them? If he only knew who she was, he wouldn't let her at his feet. And Jesus said this. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this image in, in Hosea chapter 14 gives a beautiful image of what that looks like and what our flourishing looks like. As we close out, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and then we're gonna close. And I love this image of this garden and this place and these trees and these vines and these lilies that are growing and flourishing. And it's a place that people come and they can find escape, that they can find a refuge, that they can sit under the shade and get away from the heat of the day. 
If you've ever driven through Texas, you've seen in the summer, there's like the lone oak tree in the middle of the pasture and all the cattle are gathered under every inch of that shade. That is what God wants us to do here. That's what God wants. Because if we're gonna give, if this is gonna be a place of repentance, if this is gonna be a place that people can truly walk in and find a way to walk towards Christ, to turn away from their life of sin, that there can't be barriers there can't be judgment. There can't be religiosity that with, with rules and regulations that you gotta be this way, you gotta behave like this, you gotta look like this so that you fit in. Because this is a place that you can belong before you can believe. I read this article this week um, about uh, the Mighty Ducks. They're doing a, uh, if you have Disney Plus, I do not. But if you have Disney Plus, they're redoing a Mighty Ducks uh, series. They're bringing Emilio Estevez back and uh, they're redoing that. If I was a kid, I grew up in Mighty Ducks. I loved it, right? And so I was reading about that. I thought that was really interesting. Then I saw this uh, article about, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember from the old movies, Goldberg. We have a picture, Lindsay, right? Goldberg. Do you remember from the old Mighty Ducks movie? That he was this, uh, he was the goalie and he was the kind of wisecracking guy. Uh, and I loved that movie as a kid. So I read this article about him. Um, that as a kid that, that he was in this Mighty Ducks movie and then in the past several years that he struggled with methamphetamine use. That he's, 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 he's gotten into drugs and that sort of thing. And so he was arrested this past week. And so here's a picture of his mugshot from this past week. Oh man, right? Like, isn't that heartbreaking? That people put their faith into the world and they follow these things that they think are going to bring satisfaction or value or purpose and it leads to death. And so Jesus isn't mean when he tells us to repent, to walk away from our sin and and to walk away from our wrongdoing. It's life and it's love, right? And so I, I, you know, like all the news about Kobe Bryant and to think about and what do we have our faith in? So I want you to know that what God wants to do with our flourishing is to allow us to be a place where people can come in and they can hear how much Jesus loves them and give them an opportunity to walk away from what the world offers, which is death. And the thing is, as we look at the, the, how dramatic that picture is, And we think, wow, that's really stark contrast between life to death. But I want you to know that that's what's happening on the inside of us when we follow after sin. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close and I'm just going to pray. And I want to give us an opportunity this morning. I'm going to have a couple people um, that are going to be available for prayer. I think uh, Stephen and Melissa are going to come over here and and Chris and Mike are going to be over here. If you need any time this morning, as we close out this last song, as we go about our week and as you go root for whoever you're rooting for, for the Super Bowl, I wore my generic red shirt. Yeah. To take a moment just to reflect on that. And maybe you're struggling in sin and you need repentance. You need freedom for that, which you've been putting your faith in. Maybe it's, you, you've just, you've, you've, You've thought about Jesus, you've looked at it, you've read scripture, and you haven't put your faith and trust in him. And it's, it's a leap of faith and it's a leap 
because it, it requires us to put our faith in him. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to close out with this song. So if you need to just sit, sit. If you want to worship and sing out, worship and sing out. And, and if you need someone to pray with you, then take a moment to pray. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.